Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company based in upstate New York, committed to making the highest quality artist materials. From their acrylic paints, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors, Golden makes materials so you can make amazing work. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Erin Lawler is a painter who grew up outside of London, England. She moved to France after high school and studied art history and received her Bachelor's of Art History from the Paris Sorbonne University. After spending several years there, she moved back to London and has been making her work there since. She has a current solo exhibition at Miles McHenry Gallery in New York, and recent solo shows include Espacio Valverde in Madrid, Fox Jensen Gallery in Sydney, Fifi Projects in San Pedro, Aaron Lawler Onomatopoeia at the Mark Rothko Center, the La Brea Studio Residency in Los Angeles, and Rod Barton in Brussels, just to name a recent few. Recent group exhibitions include Wet 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 at Fox Jensen McCrory Gallery in Auckland, New Zealand, Space K in Seoul, South Korea, Gallery Pauline Pavec in Paris, Rod Barton in London, Bet Noir Candyman at the Nutra Museum in Los Angeles, and many, many more. While in town for her opening at Miles McHenry Gallery, Aaron stopped by for a chat about beating Brexit, process in painting, writing versus painting, seeing David Bowie live and a family connection to him, and much more. Here's our conversation. I ask because I've been dying to go to Seoul, and I Uh, just haven't been there. Yes, no, I'm I'm very interested in going there, and um, I'm hoping I'll go back again. It's going to be a short trip this time, but then it's not the best time of year. It's... uh, Rainy season. Yeah, rainy season. Have you... um, and all the work is already there. Is yes. It, is it smaller work or larger? Um, uh, the same. It's it's large. It's not it's not as as many works. It's a three person show mm-hmm. at the um, Space K, at the Colon uh, Construction Group have mm-hmm. a, a kind of private museum. So it's a small institutional show. They seem very keen on British painting. So it seems like most years they do a British painting show with three artists they choose each year. Three Brit like yeah. Oh yeah. So it's yeah, three British artists, so quite cool. different. So yeah, it's not ju- it's not just me, but but they've chosen big works. Yeah, there's um, yeah, a big triptych and a diptych. So that's yeah. exciting. So that yeah. was right. Were you making that work at the same time as the current show here? No, we had to make the. Uh, I mean, I ended up having to make the current show, uh, the uh, the show for Miles earlier than than we'd initially thought because of uh, Brexit worries. Oh, really? Uh, because well, initially they wanted to work in New York first week in April mm-hmm. um, to do the catalog, the, the and photography, and the catalog and everything. And then at that time, obviously, Brexit was supposed to be happening on the. 29th of March and the closer we got there was still no deal so yeah. I sort of said to them I actually probably need to ship in February <laughs> because beat Brexit we, <laughs> yeah get out before Brexit <laughs> right. what might happen in case we crash out with no deal and yeah as it happened nothing happened you know the 29th of March came and went but by that time uh, yeah we'd already shipped the works. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's been interesting seeing these, almost seeing these works again at Mars's now because I actually was, you know, with drying times, I was actually painting them at the end of last year for the most part. And, yeah, that's uh, a long sort of spin. Uh, yeah, quite a long period of anticipation to see the show and see them again. Right. Imagine like directors or actors because they have a really long. Sometimes they have a couple sure. of years before a movie comes out. Yeah, it must be so. You must feel kind of separated. <laughs> yeah. I guess you would see it with fresh eyes in a way. Yeah, and I think I mean I think I think I think in many ways a, a good painting there's always that thing of I mean for me a successful painting that's partly what it comes down to that thing of separation. Yeah. That Well, do you get that time when you I mean when it starts talking back when you feel it's its own thing right. that it exists kind of on its own terms and well, <laughs> that's kind of when I try and stop. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I wonder if there's a difference too in a way be- with I mean, your process seems so, I mean, it's such an integral part of that work and how yeah. it speaks and, and, you know, yeah. and it seems like I'm going out on a limb because I don't really know, but it seems almost somewhat improvisational and physical and movement based. And, you mm. know, that process is such a, a major part of what you're seeing in it. Yeah. And I wonder if reflecting on that kind of thing is different than if, like in, in my work, I'll make a show based on a theme or an idea. Yes. You know, like surveillance imagery or, yes. you know, or I don't know, trees or something. Mm-hmm. And then often when I finish that body of work, I'm so tired of thinking in that, you know, that vein of whatever that specific idea is, is that I'm just thinking about the next thing. Mm. Is your next thing show based or does it just mutate during the process? Does it slowly, it's a organically little change? bit of both. I mean, it's certainly it's the, the, the whole process is extremely organic. Um, there, you know, there's, there's the balance between the things I, I, the places I want to be going, but also the, uh, yeah, the, the shows that are lined up and the spaces. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, for quite some time now, I've been wanting to do a show of tiny pieces and yet I seem to be doing <laughs> kind of the opposite at the moment. And at the same time, I'm really enjoying working bigger and bigger. Yeah, and the opportunities are there right now to show those works, um, both both with Miles, but also in Australia and New Zealand with my gallery there. Yeah, um, they have very large spaces and, and and clients for those works. So I'm I'm also very aware that it is, as you say, an extremely physical practice, and that I'm not getting any younger. Um, I might not always be able to to do that physically. I feel I just certainly feel a certain urgency about doing those big works now. Yeah, it's weird. Like, <laughs> well, I can. I, I mean, I've had various problems with you know tennis elbow and yeah. frozen shoulder and a lot yeah. of the you know repetitive strain injury things that I think most of us go through at some time. And I know that's just happened to me mm. fairly recently. Where yeah, um, I used to do these very small collages mm. that are all exacto blade. I mean, I still do them occasionally, but kind of like that one up there. Mm-hmm. And it's all these little pieces of paper that are cut. And I did, you know, a ton of them over the years. Mm-hmm. And my hands, like I really feel it in the last couple of years where they're just so sore and tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like when the I'm... Beginnings stre- of arthritis, probably. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Carpal tunnel, one of the yeah. two. <laughs> but when I'm doing, uh, when I'm stretching big canvases, I really yeah. feel it now. It's hard. Yeah. And then there's t- 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 when you're younger, you're just don't even think about like oh one day it's going to be a lot harder to make a giant painting yeah well i mean the other thing is i i mean i work on the floor entirely and uh, yeah every day that passes the floor is feeling a little further away (laughs) (laughs) i've seen images of the studio and yeah it's it's very 
it's kind of, it feels like a footnote to the work of like, okay, this is, you know, I, I think if people took pictures of my studio, it would be like, whatever. But in yours, it's like, okay, here's how it's done. Yeah. Like you get a real sense of the atmosphere and the it's, physicality. It's, it's an immersive process yeah. in, in every which way, you know, physically, uh, but also, I mean, m- mentally, it's, uh, it's interesting to me. You're just saying that you feel that you overthink certain, or you get to a point where you've thought too much about a body of work. Yeah. Um, for me, what I love so much about 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 painting, painting the way I paint in any case, is, is that you know that old Guston thing of um, leaving yourself at the door and not thinking. Is it's one of those rare moments in life where I can be totally yeah in the moment. Um, and yeah, it's sort of almost subconscious micro decisions that are happening in that time. Man, I envy that. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of for me, the whole point is to not think yeah. <laughs> in that space. Right. And uh, yeah. It feels like, uh, to me, I've always thought of that process as kind of like, you know, a jazz musician, like improvising. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, a classical musician playing the notes. Yeah. And I love improvisation. I love Coltrane and, you know, Miles Davis and all that stuff. And the freedom of that and the expressive kind of like investigation of, you know, the moment... Mm. And in my studio, <laughs> my studio, it's totally not that. And I, I, I don't know if, and I, well, the one interesting question I had in relation to that in your work is, do you feel the changes that you're made are complete, or not completely, but a lot of times subconscious in the process? Or are you actually premeditating some changes of like, okay, on this one, I'm going to, you know, work in a different direction? Or is it a combination of it's, it's, a it's, combina- a combination. it's a combination of the two um so you know certainly there's the yeah there's a direction i can want to go in that's it i i mean i generally find that if i have too much intention it kind of kills the painting yeah. for me so often the ones where i think i'm i know where i'm going the most i uh sort of get to that point and then actually find i want to disturb the whole thing and go almost the opposite way yeah in terms of colour or speed of movement or size of mark making. <laughs> yeah. And there's also you know, constantly very much the attention to what is happening on the canvas, what the, what, what the paint is doing. I mean, I have an endless fascination with oil paint because, I mean, it's virtually impossible to do exactly the same thing twice anyway. And, yeah. and to sort of go with that is a large part of the pleasure for me. <laughs> I think it is impossible, isn't it? <laughs> It is for me. Because <laughs> we produce something. It's yeah. like it's always going to be yeah, a little bit different. A little bit different, yeah. Uh, the, when you make smaller works, yeah. is it, I imagine it's so much different because you're controlling everything as opposed to, you know, like when you're um, when you're working over large areas, there's some things that, there's gestures that change when it's small. Like you're not doing sweeping motions on a tiny canvas. I, I kind of am. <laughs> I, I do? Don't, I, yeah, I don't, I mean... I mean, in some ways, there's, I mean, it's a whole different thing to to play with on the small ones, but it's it's sort of what just as difficult, and it's different. I mean, to try and both keep that that sort of width of of, of gesture, and and at the same time, not just cover the whole thing over. You know, yeah. it's it's uh, playing around with it with a, a, a sort of in some ways a smaller area of. Uh, of, of space, obviously, but it's um, no very much a very similar process actually to me. Much different tools. No, I use the same tools. Um, no, it's just I mean, it's, the, it's the, the space of the canvas that is is very different. Obviously, the uh, well, the paintings that, the paintings that you had up in the show last mm. night, 
some of those, it looks like the marks are being made by a pretty wide tool. Yes, the maximum these days is uh, about um, just over a foot. They're not huge, huge brushes. I used to work with much wider brushes. When yeah. I was living in France, I would get these uh, brushes made by uh, an art store called Marin, who make their own. Um, and I mean, they had quite a small market in those. Um, there was just they, I mean, they were making them for just a few of us. I think Pierre Soulage was using them, mm-hmm. Gérard Tracondi and uh, Yann Peming. And myself, I'm not sure how many other people were really using them. Yeah. They would go up to one meter. Is that two and a half feet? Yeah, that's pretty width. big. Yeah, that's pretty big. <laughs> I always found 60 centimeters, half of that was about as big as I could go in terms of, of control of, you know, the, the, well, both, both the weight on the wrist, but also the, the control of movement and load of paint. It's, yeah. uh, um, since I moved back to England, I kind of had a shift because I wasn't being able to find those brushes and they don't ship. So I, I started using wallpaper hanging brushes from mm-hmm. DIY stores, and yeah. that's mostly what I use these days, and they're about you know, a foot wide. So I was going to ask if you ever use you know, brooms or other tools no. to make no, different marks. No. No, I, I mean, I find that the, the bristle of the wallpaper brushes is, I mean, it's quite harsh compared to the, the, the you know, the more pro- proper paintbrushes I was using before. It's, it's about the right level, I find, of, of, of you know, harshness of bristle. And at the same time, you also don't, I mean, it's, it's a costly business. You also don't want, or, you know, if I started working with a broom or something, you would eat up a amount of oil paint before you that's actually true. leave anything on yeah, the canvas. That's right. It's, uh, um, no, I found this is the right kind of balance. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel the need to go much bigger. <laughs> oh, yeah, when you're uh, when you're working, do you do you work in silence, or I would imagine if you have music on, no, I have would music really, on. You do, yeah. So that must change things depending on what you're listening to, unless you. Have yeah, a I'm very sure. It's, steady... Except it sort of comes a, a, a kind of white noise, you know, when I'm when I when I get in the zone. There's yeah. a, you know, there's a point at which I don't really notice what's. What um, kind of music do you like to listen to? Very varied, uh, it's, uh, but usually I just stick on a radio station and, and, and let it go, go with that. I only switch it off or change if it's something really annoying, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been quite enjoying, you know, since I moved back to England just, just five years ago, I've been you know, listening to some quite lowbrow um, radio st- stations just because it's a kind of a way back into the culture. I felt like I had this hiatus of... Well, I was living in France for 26 years. It was, uh, you know... 26 years? Yeah, I had this big cultural gap of what was what England was about. So right. everything's interesting in some ways. So you kind of jump back into pop music? Uh, yeah, all sorts, you know. You know, say, you know well, more, more, slightly more hybrid as Radio 4, but ra- you know, BBC Radio 2 is just, yeah, it's a mixture from yeah. the 80s to today and you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Well, so what part of... You grew up outside London, is that Yes, right? in uh, Essex. Yeah, just just outside London. How was that? <laughs> um, how was it? It, it? Yeah, it's it's a nice enough place. It has a bad reputation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I, mean, I don't know if you get towie over here. No. The only way is Essex. No, it's, I don't know. I'm not. Oh, I'm it's not cult viewing in some places. Yeah, no, but it, I, yeah, Essex has a reputation of being like the kind of the kind of New Jersey or the yeah. <laughs> of, of, of London. <laughs> so, wait, is what you were talking about a TV show? Yeah, and is it recent? Uh, or is it older? A few years back. Oh, okay. Yeah. I went through like when I was in college. I went through a heavy kind mm. of like uh, shoegazer Britpop phase. Yeah, which you know exposed me to a bunch of British culture that. I took in for a while and then I think at a certain point I stopped watching TV except for sports. Yeah. <laughs> which changed my relationship to 
pop mm. culture in different places. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know that TV show. No. Anyway. Well, if you want to check it out, it'll give you an idea of what the local color was. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. It's. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I mean you know, I, uh, family family-wise, quite mixed. My father was, you know, bog Irish. Came over in the sixties. Mm-hmm. My mother was from a more upper middle class family. So there was a complete, you know, mi- mixture in terms of at home culturally what was going on, and certainly a lot of books around. And and you know, my mother used to go to exhibitions it wasn't a complete cultural dead zone but were they creative in their profession um my father not at all no he said he was an entrepreneur um uh, he was supposed to be a priest then came over and uh, um you know left all that behind got mm-hmm. on the boat from you know from ireland and landed in england um was well was a, na- yeah, a navvy first of all and then you know made his way into business um my mother uh, on her side all the women drew and painted pretty proficiently oh, but really? it wasn't something you did as a career right <laughs> more of a hobby <laughs> yeah so uh, that was kind of the struggle more on that side was was to, to do it as something more than just a hobby right you know? but there's a lot, a lot of creativity on that side of the family certainly yeah both, so both musically and uh yeah oh yeah what kind arts. of music were you listening to what kind of music I was listening to? Yeah, oh, growing um, up, I, uh, growing up a, a, a real mixture. But I like, you know, probably a lot of whatever my older brother was listening to, pretty much. That's a good <laughs> <laughs> older so, siblings always a good. Yeah, person yeah. So person. probably a lot of a lot of Bowie, a lot of Marley. A lot, yeah, it was, it was quite mixed as yeah. well in the uh, you know the early eighties. What was mid eighties? What was going on? Yeah, but a lot a lot of um, a lot of stuff further back as well. The sixties, the Motown stuff. You know, a lot of right. a lot of Northern Soul. Yeah, but there was the whole mod revival as well going on. It was just post-punk. There's <laughs> London's. Uh, I mean, it's you know, we, I mean, we were just outside London. It was the end of the Central Line, so you know that was quite a close place to come to in terms of, of, of gigs, concerts, and obviously there's a huge scene there. So yeah, were you going to see live music when yeah. you were younger? <coughs> yeah, I was. Um, you know, well, I think you know, Bowie was probably the most memorable, the most often. But, yeah. Um, Smaller, smaller groups as well. You know the jam and yep. <laughs> things like that. It was the beginning of kind of new wave as well. So you know, probably Depeche Mode and <laughs> those things. So. Oh yeah, those are early Depeche Mode records. <laughs> yeah, my brother exposed me to all that stuff. Yeah, that was yeah. my uh, you know gateway into like you know Duran Duran, Depeche sure. Mode, all that new wave stuff. The Cure, early yeah, Cure, early Cure, absolutely. All that was what was kind of. Did you get around. to see them live? Yes. I uh, early I saw, on? I saw Duran Duran, saw Depeche Mode and The Cure, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I would have yeah. loved to have seen The Cure before. Because yeah. by the time I saw them, they were playing like, you know, giant venues. Yeah. But I imagine like, you know, 10, 15 on a Saturday night in a small club or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, That sure. kind of live performance would have been pretty amazing. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a good time for the small club scene and yeah, gig scene. So you had music, and then your mom was taking you to museums and stuff? You were going yeah, out to see art? Yeah, she was taking me to museums and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's come. Yeah. And at school as well, you know, there were art classes <laughs> going on. Yeah. So I mean, so it wasn't a complete cultural dead zone. It was, uh, right. But I mean, was that around. kind of like usually. But it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't somewhere, you know, you really kind of went that much as a career. Right. Really. It was just, yeah. Well, when did you catch the bug, though? That kind of like. I mean, I think always in a sense, I'd say my, you know, my mother certainly encouraged us growing up all to, you know, draw and paint, and we all drew and paint very well. I mean, actually, in the family, both my brother and sister and myself, we were all good at drawing. That was just a, you know, it was a, a language that was there 
yeah. you know, quite naturally for all of us. Um, so I, w- I was just growing up very, very torn really between between writing and painting. I mm-hmm. um, initially was intending to study English literature, not 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 go to art school. And I mean, I didn't go to art school. <laughs> so, we well, went to school in Paris, right? Yeah, but not art school. I yeah. studied art history and archaeology at the Sorbonne. Um, but I was, you know, initially supposed to be studying English lit. Um, yeah. And you know, and for the schools, I was and my parents. I was I was very good at English lit, so that I was encouraged to go that way rather than art school. Right. Just like what you you're know. good at. Like I was. Well, well you're good at, but also academic. At the time, you know, art school was pretty much for those people who who, who weren't academic. <laughs> the punks, <laughs> yeah. and I mean, you know, I got a conditional offer from Cambridge and to do English lit, and, and yeah. you know that kind of—it's <laughs> not the kind of thing you turn down. You know, right. probably much as Harvard or Yale here, you don't just say, "Oh no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to art school." You know, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was sort of where I was headed. Now, did you speak French before you went? No, that was kind of that's how that came about. Partly, as I didn't do any um, um, any foreign languages for my final studies mm-hmm. in high school, so. Um, I because uh, quite common in England. I took a year off, um, and Cambridge actually suggested I go to France to, or Italy or somewhere to learn a, a, a foreign language better. So I essentially headed out to Paris to to learn French. <laughs> and, Did you pick and, it up quick? I mean, when you're younger, <clears throat> it's easier, right? Yeah, no, I picked it up quick, and I think it's a question of musical ear or not. You know, I, I, yeah. I, did, I picked it up really quickly, and uh, very quickly also decided I wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when there was the switch because I wasn't going to study English literature in Paris. So I kind right. of shifted to art history and archaeology, which is something I'd always been interested in as well, obviously. And then it was really in those in those years just after that that studying art history, I was you know spending all day every day looking at painting and yeah. more and more frustrated at not doing. And there was also the thing is I was you know still writing a lot at the time, but little by little I was also finding myself very much torn between two languages. Visual so, and writing. Well, no, I mean French and English, oh, quite that's simply. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that that started becoming more and more complicated for me in terms of of, of expression, self expression, yeah. which language to write in. You know, what I was living, my everyday experience was in French. So there was a time at which it it became complicated for me. Um, and so I think it was really a mixture of those two things, of, bo- of both, you know, so much looking at, at painting and, as I say, frustration at not, not doing. <laughs> now, did you feel um, like you had a, your real inner voice was going to be released in, in making paintings at that point? Or was that something you... I know, I, I think so. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't know what my voice was. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think the art... You know, that's, that's art history studies helped me I mean, obviously see see what had gone before, but also in some ways drew me to where I felt there was still fertile ground. Yeah. Um, which was perhaps what had been missing when I was slightly younger in terms of painting. It's you know, it's very easy to look out there and say everything's been done, and you know what? Yeah. What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> Um, and I think it was really that fascination with late Titian and Rembrandt and then looking, you know, through through that to Soutine and, and Auerbach in particular. It was actually quite interesting because I was, you know, in France but looking back to the School of London and seeing, the, you know, the way Auerbach used paint, just that use of oil paint and that there was something that was still, as I say, fertile ground as far as I was concerned there. Um, I, I, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it, that that was conscious as far as that went. That that was, and that was why it was clear to me that when I started painting, that I was really 
it was about oil paint for me, which is mainly why I ended up not going to art school because at the time I started, you know, then going to the end of year classes, you know, as shows at the at the um, Ecole des Beaux Arts in Paris and looking at what they were doing. And they were so anti-painting at the time; there was no painting happening in the art schools. And I, you know, I kept going along there and looking at the end of year shows and just realizing that I, I wasn't going to learn painting or even anything about paint if I yeah. went to art school at the it time. It wasn't the traditional, like, learn your still life, learn your own. Not, not at all. They'd kind of basically thrown out painting as a, a bourgeois elitist preoccupation in 68, and it hadn't been kind of seen right. since. You know, everything <laughs> was conceptualized to death, you know, in terms of, uh, yeah, physical painting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not to say there weren't, as I say, other interesting and fertile things being done, but, you know, you were only allowed to paint if you could write a 10-page justification next to each piece of work (laughs) explaining why it wasn't really painting, you know, or not really about the paint. I'm going to validate this with with a small essay. So, you know, as I said, it became quite clear to me, um, well, both that I was, when I came back to painting, that it was very much about the paint and the oil paint for me, and at the same time that I wasn't going to learn that there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think maybe if I'd been in England at that time, I probably would have ended up going back to art school because it was very much the tradition there of you know of still learning learning your basics (laughs) both in terms of your materials but also techniques you know but well how did that manifest in your process that a lot of times when you do go say to art school for painting you're going to learn you know obviously somewhat you're going to learn like still life you're going to learn figurative painting or you know mixing colors and all that kind of like Mm. traditional stuff and then at some point you, you kind of throw out, you know, or not throw it out, but mm. you kind of like figure out what you take from that learning and, and you move on from there. But it seems like you're kind of entering in at a, at a stage where you're, I mean, when you first started painting, were you, was it closer to what you're doing now in a sense of like you had an no, idea? No, I'd say on the corner, I mean, I kind of did my learning, that learning curve on my own. I, yeah. I sort of decided that I needed to just get in the studio and, and learn my materials, which essentially, I mean, the first few years I was really working more, you know, learning to draw again and working with watercolor and then quite quickly shifting onto oil paint because I knew that was where I wanted to go. Um I mean, it's funny looking back because at the time I was working with pure oil and obviously now I work in a way that's very liquid and I can't help fitting that initial basis in, in, in watercolour was probably a help for yeah. that. And so working with yeah. viscous materials and Yeah, and, and you know, the, the way that things have to sort of come right quite fast and you can't, you know, you can't overwork beyond a certain point that it actually, you know, it's slightly without a safety net. Yeah. Um, so you know there, there was but I mean really the first ten years i was I was working figuratively, completely mm-hmm. figuratively. I was doing initially nothing but what I say I was looking back to the School of London, and I was really working through that thing of you know I had had and probably still have you know quite a chip on my shoulder about not having gone to art school and the need to technically you know, learn these things on right. my own and I kind of really figured out that the 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 most complex volume really is a face that if you can do that well. Yeah, you can do. You know, it was it was a great learning process to to learn how to paint the face, the figure. Um, of course, in terms of volume, but also yeah, color, you know, color form, everything, line. Um, yeah. Well, in all honesty, don't we all kind yeah. of teach ourselves? Even if you're well, in yeah, class. no. I mean, it's why I'm, I'm. You know, I say I have the chip of my shoulder about it. At the same time, I'm very aware that you know it's 
that thing of you know in some ways nobody's self-taught and in other ways everyone is it's yeah. uh you know i can't can't really say i'm self-taught either in the sense that i spent four years studying art history that's kind of a great right. it's not exactly some you know outsider artist who yeah. had no idea what was uh going on there you know yeah. so, i think yeah, unless you uh, go to a specific school that's like mm. studio school or something where you're learning specific targeted techniques i mean these days i think you're just learning some basics and really most of the learning you're doing is just by pushing the pain around and, and figuring yeah. it out as you do it yeah i remember when i was a kid and i went for my first saxophone lessons and i told my mom i was like he's not really teaching me how to play it mm. because like i was having trouble at the beginning with my armature and figuring out like how to make the notes sound good each time yeah and she said well he you know he, he can't put your mouth on that like you have to do it he can just sort of like advise you on mm. it and the same thing with painting it's like sure. you know you can tell someone add a little bit of varnish or you know yeah. this luminosity and glazing or whatever but until you get in there and start moving it around like yeah. you, you kind of teach yourself no for sure the bulk of it <laughs> yeah no for sure <laughs> the same thing with guitar or music you yeah know, you can see pictures of chords but you kind of have to learn how to play it and make those sounds yeah so you so I mean, as I was saying, that's kind of that was in many ways those sort of more or less ten years of painting portraits and figures were kind of my my art, art school, school in a way. Yeah. <coughs> well, it's it, it's kind of like the ten thousand hours, right? Yeah, and then and then then became the complicated bit because I did reach a point when I realised that I kind of felt I had to let go of let go of that and, yeah. and the very scary bit of do I actually have anything left to say once I start. You know, killing, you mean, killing the fathers, getting rid of our back, chucking all these people out of the studio right, <laughs> and yeah. saying, like, what happens now? Yeah. And, you know, but it was also a, a, a gradual realization of, the, the, you know, again, the, of the importance of the oil paint and the brush mark and, and what that could carry without being as, as explicit. Yeah. Or uh, a figurative or narrative, you know. I mean, in many ways, my, 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 so-called figurative works were already extremely abstract in terms of the brush mark. Mm-hmm. Again, is that too? In like pro. a looseness and, of... And in some ways, my so-called abstract paintings today are, I hope, evocative of all sorts of things. Completely. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I showed my son in front of one of your, the painting in that back pocket gallery. Yeah. And then I, I Googled Rembrandt and pulled up a couple of paintings and zoomed in on mm. it. And I held it up and the, the palette... Yeah. this one area because I saw it and I was like that's Rembrandt's palette <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I pulled it up and he's like whoa it's like the same color <laughs> I was like yeah, it's, it's, yeah it can be representational in its feel without you know painting yeah. a face and eyes and a nose and I mean that for me is one of the huge uh, uh, sort of advantages I find of paint I mean yeah I'm actually despite this podcast I'm a very private person <laughs> I love the fact that uh, with paint you can express an awful lot extremely directly and at the same time implicitly and not explicitly yeah i think that's one of the, <laughs> yeah. the gifts of it as yeah. opposed to writing like yeah. you became yeah. a writer right. i mean if i had become out. a writer it, you know i think i would have found that very i think it was one of the things i found very difficult in writing is the uh, yeah the boundaries of what the, words can well, do. The, Although, the boundaries and and how how explicit words are yeah and, there's poetry though maybe you could I did, I did. I did. Did you dip into do, that? Do, yeah, very much so. So it's been my favorite form these, to write. <laughs> these are poetic, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. There, there's a romance to them. There's mm. they're romantic and they seem poetic and they seem dark and brooding, but but light at the same time. And, yeah. You know, all I that. Hope, I hope so. <laughs> and, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the, the evocative movement of it and then your association to that 
process yeah. and what that must be like. Like you get the feeling mm. of the time, the movement, the, the stress, the release, you know what I mean? But I think at this point in time, all pretty much all painting has to be at some level meta painting, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, mean, I think you have to meta. assume that. I mean, Pierre, yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, well, you know, I mean, you know, Pierre Kierkeby wrote uh, wonderful, te- you know, notes to his painting, I mean, to his uh, you know, architecture and sculpture as well. But, yeah. Um, and in those notes, he was very clearly saying that, that, that painting's a, a thing of, of sort of falseness and, and, and lies <laughs> because I mean you, and you have to kind of assume that and accept it and go own it the fact that it's it's about imitating something and you know it, it's never going to be the reality and, and you know that well, you, unless you've got this incredibly you know romantic posture you know yeah um, but at this point in time you have to kind of just own the fact that yeah that it, it is about creating you know falsehoods three three dimensions out of two and <laughs> yeah art is short for artifice yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so it's you know yeah. assimilation of, of the world yeah but then there's the reality of the fact that it's something that's made sure which i think is the great tension between those two things yes no, is that it's absolutely. this faux yeah. invented universe mm. but it's really made like you it's actually created yes so there's like a time gap and a motion gap between those i think just seeing like you know, virtual reality and stuff like that is a little different because it's, you know, it's created too, but it's sort of the simulacra of it is, I guess, more present in your mind. Mm. Whereas the painting is at the the objectness of it never leaves. No, you know? and you're always face to face with that. You know, yeah. Which again is something I think I ended up. You know, I, I, I feel very grateful that I didn't go the route of writing actually I think I would have suffered a hell of a lot more um <laughs> do, you, do you still write though do you ever write I, I do I do still write um but no I was what I was just meaning to say is that that you know there is that reassuring thing with the painting of the fact I mean there's you know there's there's the canvas there's an object there's paint there's, there's something there there's not this you know um volatility that writing has yeah <laughs> but it sounds I'm sure you were gifted at writing yeah I think so. <laughs> I think you know, I think they thought so too. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and I've, I've actually come back to writing. It was interesting because after you know after I divorced and found myself as you know, a single mother with two young children, I needed various you know I needed day jobs and other, yeah. well not day jobs. I kind of deliberately choosing things that were night jobs so I could right. keep the daytime for painting, and I ended up. Um, translating quite a lot on proofreading and that it was interesting because by that time I'd been living in France and in French for so long that that English was kind of almost my second language and it was it was uh, for me a very interesting way back in to to what had been my mother tongue um yeah uh, re- sort of almost relearning English um that must be but, hard. but also seeing it as 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 a foreign language I think I found I found I had a, a, a renewed attentiveness to the language and the words and what they meant, where they came from. Words. So you know, we tend to take words for granted hugely. Um, the English language is incredibly rich in terms of its having stolen from everywhere. It's kind of Esperanto. It's so complicated for, too, right? Yeah, it's deceptively simple. But yeah, yeah. It's, it was interesting coming back to that. But I mean, it then brought me back. I then, I mean, being in Paris and as I said, there's very little painting going on. I started curating um, quite a lot and that brought me back really to writing about initially about other people's work yeah um, did so you again, enjoy it yeah i did enjoy it i still i still do it occasionally i mm-hmm. you know had a couple of pieces in uh, the art section over the last year or so nice 
I did a dialogue, dialogue with uh, Liat Yosifor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, not so long ago, and a piece on Bram Bogart. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's still there. My uh, I occasionally, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess since I've been teaching for a little while, yeah. there's just been some opportunities for me to write. Yeah, and my relationship to writing is kind of like you know those painters who try their hand at ceramics. <laughs> <laughs> I did ceramics too, and know no, know nothing about the process, but are yeah. just giddy about like oh, I can play with this stuff. <laughs> That's like how I feel like when I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like most things when it becomes a, a job or with a deadline, it yeah. suddenly gets a little less fun. But yeah, right. But it's just yeah. like taking a stab in the dark at something. But, sure. but there's something exhilarating about venturing into that yeah. other world of expression. Yeah, and so uh, what you write about art, other or, art, yeah, other art, yeah, yeah. And you present that to your students, or? No, I mean, I've done a couple of pieces on the internet and, you know, mm. like blogs and stuff like that. Yeah. And and I do write a little bit for teaching purposes as well, okay. but more so for just personal. Yeah. You know, I'm so into something, I want to write about it. Yeah. Which okay. that only happened recently. It's a recent phenomenon. <laughs> I'll check it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, no, don't do that. No, it's best yeah. read by unqualified <laughs> I'm unqualified. <laughs> oh. Um. <laughs> So with the the work that that is up in your show now, yeah. when did you start migrating out of those portraits and the representation? Was it a big break? Where it, it was a big break. It, re- it was a big break, and it was a scary break. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was probably a period of three years where I was again pushing the paint around, again trying to stay away from the figure and not not really knowing where on earth it was going. Um, I probably destroyed pretty much everything I did over a three year period then. Um, just kind of searching just searching yeah searching uh, where I was uh, yeah where I was going with that were there other artists at that time that you were kind of emboldened by or I was I was talking a lot at the time with a French artist called Gérard Tricondi who's a very good painter Uh um you know sadly kind of quite unknown outside of France very very celebrated within France we were talking a lot um uh, it's funny looking back. I think a lot of what he was saying is actually, and you know, the things we were discussing are very, very close actually to to Hans Hoffmann's oh, yeah. teachings. You know, his work was considered abstract there, but certainly came out of nature, nature or reality. Mm-hmm. It was uh, um, so. Yeah, we were t- we were talking a lot um, at that time. He was probably the the most sort of intelligent person I was talking to about painting at that time but uh, yeah in terms it was it was hard in France at that time to to find people to talk painting to at all Um, which is is probably what led me in many ways to to start showing as internationally in a sense it was also you know the the, shortly after that you know the beginnings of of social media in one which every which way and because because I was feeling like locally there was so little going on in terms of dialogue I very quickly started having great online dialogues with uh, artists over here and yeah. in Germany and in, back in the UK. And, and what, ta- what time frame were we talking here? Um, when you made that transition? Well, uh, when I made that transition, it was the early 2000s. Yeah. So, yeah, we're getting on for nearly, nearly, you know, nearly 20 years. No, it's 17, 18 years ago now. Yeah, it goes back and, quick. Yeah, it does go <laughs> quick. So, yeah, no, so I mean, I've been, you know, and consider I've been painting with this sort of language now for over 15 years. But yeah, there was uh, 
an yeah an early period where it was still where it was beginning to be in place, but it was still quite quite a lot simpler than today, you know. And, and you know, in many ways, I'd slightly set aside color for a while. It was not not monochrome, but I was using two three colors mainly and staying away from the strong cadmiums and things. I was I felt like I was again pulling apart a language and. Um, yeah, examining the different components and, and trying to learn them as much as possible, really playing around with uh, a quite binary thing of, of, of figure and ground, mm-hmm. even if was, the figure was no longer figure. Um, so, it, you know, it felt like it was my sort of period of analytical cubism when I was kind of get, getting rid of all the colour and at the same time, I say, pulling apart the language and then slowly started putting it back together again with more confidence. Yeah, And I think that's been the main shift over the last 15 years has been a growing you know, ease and confidence in the language and therefore uh, things getting bigger, but also just quite simply more complex and, and the colour coming back in. Um, Has it become less uh, reliant, or not reliant, but weighted in the roots of figuration or representation a little more self-referential over the years? Or do you still find I'd, yourself I'd say looking- almost the contrary. Yeah. I think the period when I was pulling it all apart in many ways was my most abstract time. Deep end of the pool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, I was probably, you know, it's, it's more, it's probably the time when I was closest to actually sort of you know, radical painting and, and, you know, really meta painting. <laughs> you know? yeah. I think on the contrary, I think in recent years, as I say, with the confidence in the language and, and feeling you know, freedom in terms of both composition, colour, whatever, there's, uh, I probably back to the jazz thing. I did, you know, there's that sort of musical thing. Was once you've got a language in place, you can actually go all sorts of places yeah. with it, and it's become probably more obvious to me the things that that do creep in in terms of mood, and that can be a, a you know a wide variety from from things that are very pop or to to extremely romantic or broody or you know, and in that sense, I feel that it's sort of perhaps more 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 referential to some not figurative art but you know something that yeah that is clearly evocative yeah and and again the range of what i look at sure i mean you know the rembrandt you're absolutely right you know when i when i left you know art school in paris i history of art school i uh, university i i hung on to my you know student card for a couple of years because university was really cheap in paris so i hung on to my student card because it gave me free access to all museums and i used to run down to louvre and go and look at you know rembrandt's beef carcass and then just try and keep that on my retina and go right. back to the studio and <laughs> you know yeah that, I mean that was that was my art school you know and the same there was a wonderful portrait of Jean Genet by uh, Giacometti in the mm-hmm. Pompidou Centre that was kind of always there and you know these were the my kind of go-to you know um, well Musée d'Orsay has some yeah and Musée d'Orsay well that was sort of just yeah yeah opening up again with but, but yeah the Manets and the, yeah it was, of course there's an extraordinary amount of painting good painting to look at in Paris yeah. if you want to you know what, and, do you think that? I mean, recently from- I've been back there looking again at the, uh, you know, the Monet of uh, Orangerie. Mm-hmm. As I've been working bigger and more immersive, I've been kind of uh, yeah, looking at him again. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to just keep on 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 giving. But at the other end of the spectrum, I've also become aware of all sorts of things that creep into the work that I hadn't necessarily realised. You know, that growing up, you know, Morris Sendak, where the wild things are. That. Mm-hmm. Um, I only just realised recently as well at the I was at the William Morris Museum in Walthamstow and suddenly kind of had a flashback and remembered that as first five years of my life probably I was surrounded by William Morris wallpaper that 
Oh, had really? a kind of where the wild things are effect yeah. on me and that that in many ways creating such you know immersive pieces today is right probably a sort of attempt to recreate that that sort of magic yeah <laughs> something it's to in step the, into deep in the visual subconscious mm. and you know again dr zeus you know yeah. i mean I, I love the way i mean he's done some quite funny paintings as well but it is that sort of space you know just as his creatures are highly evocative and yet don't really look like anything else yeah. that's uh, yeah, there. definitely. Yeah. So, you, as I say, the you know the range of what 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 creeps into the work is pretty vast. Vast, and, and <laughs> a lot of it is probably yeah. subconscious. Or yeah, yeah, a lot of it is subconscious. A lot of the time, I realize it kind of afterwards rather than. <laughs> I totally during. <laughs> I mean, I grew up watching Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And like my, I remember when I first started showing, someone had mentioned like Chuck Jones is yeah. Like that, some of this has a feeling of like fifties, forties, yeah. and fifties, you know, and American animation. And yeah. I was like, really? I guess why? And then I thought, I do really love Bugs Bunny. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I'm the, the same. I, a lot of you know cartoon things. A lot of my titles, that particularly the more pop kind of paintings, often have titles that kind of reference yeah. the whole Looney Tunes. Thing, right. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's good stuff. When I, yeah. I think when I had my first show in London, mm. and someone mentioned that the paintings look very american yeah and i that was a total light bulb moment for me because i never thought of it yeah you know what i mean i'm just here making my work and then you know the, you know yeah, like the first time like, i came to la i was told my painting was very european I, and that was, that's what i was gonna ask you <laughs> do you feel like i mean you know you're you're incubation as an artist in around the louvre and like yeah. all those paintings i mean i would imagine that shapes Oh no, definitely. I mean, you can't. Yeah, you know, and, and I am European. I'm, you know, that's why I'm having such issues in the UK right now. <laughs> what's going on? You know, I am. I say Irish father. My children are French. It's you know, it, yeah. I, I'm European. There's no. I can't suddenly say we're not European anymore. Right. No, I mean, I t- you know, totally grew up. Um, yeah, surrounded. I mean, as a European and European culture. Um, that's. I mean, that said. I mean, what's you know so fascinating and great for me to be sh- actually showing specifically, even with Miles McKenna Gallery, mm-hmm. is there's this wonderful tradition of you know, the New York School and yeah that Europe has been looking to for the last. 60, 70 years, yeah. though we might not always admit it. No, but I mean, it's, you know, so obviously probably the last 100 years now, you know, I've been looking, well, yeah, coming up on 100 years that so we've really been looking to New York as, as, as the centre of the painting world. And right. certainly, you know, I, in my work, I'm also equally in dialogue with de Kooning or... Uh, Joan Mitchell certainly particularly I mean Joan Mitchell was probably also that equal sort of marriage between America and and Europe being in Paris she was one of the only um, you know large format oil painters and women (laughs) who was uh, who was there as a sort of example to me of you know someone who 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 was who was going that path right Frankenthaler Um, are you a fan I, I, I am, but she was less present to me than Joan Mitchell, who yeah. just, you know, I mean, Joan Mitchell died in, what, 92, but, I mean, she, her, her legacy in Paris and, you know, the shows regularly with Jean Fournier Gallery, she was, uh, yeah, she was, more I was visible, much more right? aware of her. Yeah. Um, and no doubt feel closer in the sense that, I mean, you know, Frankenthaler, much as I love the work and I'm perhaps looking at it more again today through, through the immersive experience, right. both of the making and the looking. Yeah. But at the same time, she, you know, she used brushes, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very fond of my brushes. Yeah. <laughs> <So you probably laughs> <gathered. Yes. laughs> 
so you know in that sense joan was much more my uh yeah yeah well growing my, my up, reference <laughs> yeah definitely I, yeah. I mean you're it's kind of like what you're seeing and what's around you, you yeah know, that like i think in certain stages of life where you are like mm. impact your process in different ways that maybe in hindsight it's easier to try to like navigate yeah. that so sure. like what was the light growing up in england like you know how is that different than you know like a new york or la or you know an australian I'd, honest, I'd say it's not that different to new york <laughs> it's very different to la yeah. um or australia but a little grayish yeah it's yeah. Uh, you know you i mean it's the reason there's so many europeans in new york it's a kind of new york does feel like a home from home yeah for, you know in the u.s um the light growing up, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. There's a, there's a quite an interesting text by um, um, Helen Lesore, who ran the Beaux-Arts Gallery for a couple of years and was after her, father, her, brother, her husband's death. And she, she was the first person to show kind of Auerbach, Bacon, Kossoff, you know, Freud, everyone. She wrote, she wrote an interesting text. I mean, she's just for two years. She never managed to sell a painting and close the gallery. But she wrote an interesting text about um, painters in the, in the modern tradition, about, um, you know, a mixture of essays on masters and otherwise and in the introduction she actually sort of wrote a, a, a family tree a genealogy of of european painting in in a very interesting way and she then followed it by a list of what she considered northern and southern both mm-hmm. in terms of, of of light but you know the uh, either the epic or the, you know, the detail or um the exterior the interior what you know what differentiates northern and southern painters and i would certainly say i you know identify as a northern painter yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and you know in the same way it's probably in, in in the u.s that's probably the equivalent of kind of east coast west coast right you know, that kind of difference yeah and sure. you can work in different places but there's almost yeah. like a core there that yeah you know, because you've had an opportunity to do different residencies. Right? Yeah, no, and I've done. I went out and did the Danny First Studio residency in LA twice. Yeah, so which was a fabulous opportunity. But you know, but I was aware that you know collectors and people out there were fairly constantly saying, "Does she work getting brighter?" <laughs> <laughs> always, always wanting brighter. And really? Like, this is yeah. as bright as I get. I'm sorry. Okay, you know, I mean, sure, the effect, the light out there had an, had an effect on my work, and I was you know going more towards pinks and yellows and yeah <laughs> than than previously, but again there's a i mean i've never been about working you know in pure color anyway that's always been about this you know the 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 working through the layers of paint and you know, working alla prima and 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 mixing the colors so yeah i've never really worked primaries and i've never really done you know pure color so yeah do you think a lot of that kind of, that's deeper rooted in some of those um, artists that you were so influenced, or that you've seen I, so much. There's that. There's the, the technical thing of working alla prima and layers over layers. You know, I require a certain amount of layers, you know, under under layers, mm-hmm. to to start getting to the level I want in terms of what can happen on the canvas. Um, again, no doubt, subconsciously, a lot to do with, as you say, the you know the people I was looking at, but also you know. I, did, I think there are so many micro decisions or even major decisions you make over the year in the years in the studio without realizing at the time the knock-on effects they have. Yeah. You know, the, um, you know, it wasn't suddenly just one day I went, you know, down on the floor. It was, it, you know, it was a gradual thing of the work getting more and more liquid and then shifting to the floor quite, you know, naturally. And yeah. then, uh, um, then realizing that yeah, I needed certain number of more or less dry layers underneath in order to not be scraping back to the white canvas which is not something i wanted and and you know again that the organic learning process of realizing that if i wanted to go bright i need to start dark and vice versa and uh, you know just 
I'd say it's been a very organic learning process for me and uh, um, I think there's a, a lot that I've realised since it's sort of very well um, documented technically that I've sort of come to quite almost by accident <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's a learning process happy think, accident yeah <laughs> I noticed yesterday that the um, the edges are yeah. pretty dark and I was going to ask you because you said the white of the canvas. Do you prime it normally with like regular gesso, or uh, the, the, the canvases are primed with regular gesso? Yeah, and um, but so that dark is just coming from layers of dark paint. Underneath. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah after the gesso, there's layers of uh, yeah. This is dripping off the edge. Yeah. Oh, it, or all do you dri- paint it? No, it's all just dripping off the edge. It drips. Uh, I mean, usually the first layer might be painted, and then after that, it's whatever goes over the edge. I don't, kind of tend to paint the first layer just because I do want to not be distracted by a kind of a jarring white suddenly yeah. you know there were times right in the beginning when on advice from people in Paris I taped off my edges and, and I actually ended up finding that quite as I say quite jarring and, yeah. and and quite flattening and I mean there's actually you know having got used to the edges being what what they are I've I've become rather fond of them as actually a sort of added dimension to the work they are a sort of geological you know documentation of yeah. the strata that go into building up the work and uh well i think that's I, that's such a part of the yeah the painting again it's a kind of you know assuming fully the the idea of of the object that it is yeah. and the process that's gone into it right which i'm in it's no way trying to cover up it's purpose anyway and again it would feel almost dishonest to me to be trying to you know cover them up right them up. <laughs> i was telling my students though if you if you're going to paint on the side like it should mean or there there should be a reason you know because yeah. a lot of times people We'll do like a still light painting and paint the sides pink and it drives me crazy or like black <laughs> to cover yeah. up some drips or something. Yeah. I'm like, well, it's kind of... Well, this is it. I'd rather leave the drips yeah. than start right. trying to pretend they didn't happen or they... Yeah. And as I say, I found the white edge very jarring if I taped things off. Yeah. Do you know, you know, we would never leave it raw on the sides? Or do you use pre-primed right. canvas? Yeah, it's it's most of the time I use pre-primed canvas. How do you stretch uh, so. that stuff? It's so hard to stretch. Or do you have <laughs> do you have it done? Um, a bit of both. I have sometimes the, the very large pieces. I have them done, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time I also you know. And when things go wrong, and I need to take a box cutter to things, and I restretch myself as well. Right. That that happens plenty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited that the, we're having this conversation because once in a while someone will make a comment about not talking enough about the painting and talking too much about life or something else. Yeah. And we're really getting some shop talk here. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. You know, like, you're not talking about why, how the person paints that way. And it's like, well, sometimes you get caught in life, you know, and yeah. you're talking more about that. Yeah. Yeah, why well, I'm not sure people want to know about my life that much. <laughs> or need to. Well, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a, a pretty yeah. amazing um, sort of like coming up and like moving and spending all that time in Paris in a totally different culture, yeah. learning the language, developing your process there, yeah, and then coming back to London, yes, and making the work there. I mean, it's it must have been. What was your studio like in in Paris? It it was tiny. It was beautiful. It was you know it was immensely kind of romantic. It was a little mm-hmm. old studio in a courtyard in a cobbled courtyard in oh, the, you so know nice. the Menil Monton kind of area. It was way too small very quickly. But I you know I I kind of got stuck there. I mean I was there in that studio for seventeen years. That wow. that was the biggest upheaval for me when I left Paris was was leaving that studio. That's a long I did time. I didn't really mind you know leaving behind the. House money and apartment, and right. <laughs> it was the studio that, I, yeah, it, 
you know, my, my whole genesis as a painter yeah. there. So that was, uh, yeah, that was the tough one. At the same time, it was way too small by that point. And, right. you know, I was so ready to move on that do you get, um, had to be done. <laughs> do you get invigorated by the studio move? I mean, I think a lot of artists hate moving studios, but when you do move, it's kind of like... Oh, you take uh, almost like moving houses. Um, yes and no. I mean, what was again scary when I got back to London was the first f- six months. I didn't have a studio, and I yeah. was going fairly stir crazy yeah. <laughs> at that time <laughs> because there's, I mean, a lot of you know amazing um, d- studio providers in London that have charitative uh, charity status and uh, charitative status, and they. Uh, you know, they, they have waiting lists. And obviously, because I'd been out of the country so long, I wasn't well placed on anybody's yeah. waiting list. You know, there have been people on waiting lists for 20 years. And I right. turn up and... So for the first, you know, months, there was kind of nothing. And, and then I started subletting, you know, left, right and centre. So there were a lot of studio moves when I got back to London. You mm-hmm. know, rather too many. Um, I, you know, for the last three years, I've been in a studio I'm very happy in, actually. That, um, Those are the pictures? The yeah, recent the, ones, pictures. the recent ones, yeah. It looks conducive. Yes, yes, yeah. No, and it's a, you know, it's a great atmosphere. It's a high ceiling. It's got beautiful windows. And there's a great community in that building. It's an old peanut factory out on Fish Island in the East End. Nice. Old industrial um, area. And there's uh, a lot of great artists in the building. And, you know, it's a great sense of community. Um, so, you know, that, that's really lovely. It's, yeah. It's, it's nice it's, when you're comfortable. Yeah. You know, we all have our closed doors and at the same time, you know, that if you go out in the, in the corridor, you like to bump into some good people and have as much shop talk as you want or yeah. not. And, you know, to be honest, there's the, the, the Korean show is coming, um, through, uh, one of the artists in the building. She brought the curator round to oh, see nice. me during freeze week last week. And they say this really is, you know, a sense of community and people, doing what they can for each other. Right. Anna Friedman Bentley, who's a wonderful painter herself. Nice. Um, and a very generous <laughs> person yeah. too. So, yeah. So, yeah, no, it, I mean, I'm in a good place in terms of studio right now. So, and that, and that certainly, you know, gave me, as you say, was, you know, motivation when I finally got into that studio that right. felt like it was big enough to finally spread out and... <laughs> make some bigger work. Make some bigger work, yeah. Do you, yeah. Uh, are you still going out to see live music? Not as much as I'd like to. Me too. You know, I just, I've slowed I just, down. yeah, I've slowed down. Kids, kids do that to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm only kind of growing up now. I don't really have that truth. excuse. But yeah, I do. No, but you kind of fall out of the loop. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. No, you do fall out of the loop. No, I went and saw Paul Simon in Hyde Park last year on his oh, nice. farewell tour, and that was. I was going to say, who's the different. who's the act <laughs> that would break you out and to get you to go see something like next week? Oh God. <laughs> I'm probably kind of old school these days. I, I mean, I, the other person I saw last year was Joan Armatrading, who was who was great at the uh-huh. Barbican. Um, I can't remember the last gig I saw. I just missed Glastonbury, so I kind of oh, yeah, Glastonbury. was meaning to get to that, but didn't. So I don't know. Don't know who. Liked. I was deep into all that My Bloody Valentine and yeah. Ride and Lush and Blur and yeah, getting New Music Express. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and it was hard to find that stuff. So we'd have to like. Yeah. scrounge to find like the Stone Roses Japanese import CD or something right you know? and yeah. we were heavy into that music scene for a while yeah. there's so much great music yeah it's no it's, it's true a lot of good music still a lot of good music going on in England of course it's, uh, definitely yeah, I'm not about yeah. that a couple of people hey, you I'm should, trying you to should talk get to. over to Glastonbury one year I know <laughs> that would blast. be amazing yeah. Yeah, although I do have a slight aversion to music festivals mm. you know what I mean like they're yeah. they're kind of 
taxing. Yeah. Every, <laughs> every year you get a bit older and music festivals seem right. less attractive. <laughs> I remember going to Lollapalooza, the first one that came out here, and I was, you know, I was, oh, it's great. And mm. I think about it now in hindsight, like, you know, 20 porta potties and a million people, like yeah. stinky out in the middle. I was like, what was I? How did I do that? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> So yeah. well, what? So you have the show up that just opened. Yeah. What's the closing date at Miles McHenry on Twenty uh, yeah. Second Street? Twenty Second Street. It's up until sixteenth of August. Okay. So we'll release this soon, so people have a lot of time to go check it out. And then the show coming up in Korea is opening on Monday. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm flying out Saturday you- night because with the time change, that's the only flight that gets me into Korea on Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting, yeah. And, and then that, anything that's else with Space K, uh, yeah, yeah, private space. Um, anything else going on? Um, I'm just time. studying, well, I've, I've already, I, I always keep working. Yeah. I guess I'm like a shark, I need to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. Um, no, I think I also used to find the thing of doing a show and then slightly crashing afterwards, whereas my best way around that, and as I say, this show at Miles McHenry, actually, you know, we shipped it out in, in February, yeah, so, it's so it's been a while, so I've kind of gone on with working since then I'll be working towards uh, my next show with Fox Jensen McCrory in uh, New Zealand early next year nice Um, so that's and that's a very big space have you been you've been to New Zealand a bunch not yet no 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 I started working with them two years ago I did my first solo with them in Sydney last year and I went to that and I did a solo in New Zealand and didn't quite get there I would love to go because it's quite a trip to make so I've heard it's beautiful yeah I'm intending to go next year so yeah I'll be out there for my next that'll be great Mm. yeah and then you do social media you're not adverse to the social medias no well i actually come (laughs) off facebook (laughs) about a year ago well instagram got it got it it. yeah yeah i know but yeah (laughs) uh, yeah sure but yeah no sure i'm i'm on instagram social media has been very good for me yeah good to me and i've met you know i mean both in terms of of getting the work out there but also i've met so many you know so many other as i say the community for me the painting community wasn't really there in paris and uh at the time it was you know an absolute lifeline to suddenly have all these people many of whom i quite quickly met you know i came over to new york and was in various kind of group shows and you know parallel art space and in uh you know brooklyn that um, might be hard to do if if we didn't have this Uh, sure you know yeah absolutely and a lot of those things did come through uh through social media you know Nice. And I mean, I did a show at the Glyptotech Museum in uh, in Copenhagen a few years back, and the curator actually initially saw my work on on Facebook. So. Speaking <laughs> of a beautiful town, mm. Copenhagen. Yeah, no, I have, I have. Yeah. Copenhagen is a very special place in my heart. The it's airport a- alone, when you get there, you're like, oh, this is how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and the, even the drop off, it's called Kiss and Fly, which kind oh, of yeah, sums right. it up. You know? <laughs> Whereas, well, lovely I don't th- people. I don't think it's called that at JFK. <laughs> no. I don't think that's how they refer to it. <laughs> no, it's probably give cool. the cabbie you, the finger. You've got two seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah. No. What a beautiful city, and that yeah. was an extraordinary experience in terms of seeing my work in you know really fabulous context. Right. They were doing a show called Paint, which was uh, you know masterpieces from their collection, mm-hmm. unframed with uh, you know so you could see the edges and the, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the stuff of the paint, the nitty gritty, and even actually. Um, 
Lynn Clausen-Peterson, who's the wonderful curator mm-hmm. at the time who did that, she even put in benches and stopwatches to make people aware of how much or how little time they were spending there oh, to wow. slow them down. <laughs> she was a big believer in, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the required time for really, really looking at painting. Unless you're a speed chess player, then you would just get up there and look for a couple <laughs> seconds and be like, all right, I did it. Two seconds. So, yeah. But yeah, that was uh, yeah no not 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 speed <laughs> speed painting. Um, <laughs> what was that old joke about slow action painting? It's <laughs> probably action. what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah no. So that was I mean extraordinary context to have my work shown. It's kind of paint now within yeah. <laughs> within that you know that paint show with Maniences out and you know. so yeah that That's was great. that was my and it was my first museum show. So you know a lot of a lot of special things for me in Copenhagen and I've since you know worked back there with the Printers Proof uh, like a print residency I've been yeah. in various group shows um, with Julie Sass who curates a lot as well as painting so yeah I, I get back to Copenhagen a lot yeah it's a great place it's been so long but I want to go back yeah yeah yeah. Well, thank. Congrats on the show. Thank you. It looked great, and everyone should go see it. And thanks for stopping by. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me over. Yeah, thank you. Sound and Vision is recorded, produced, edited, mixed, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast at soundandvisionpodcast.com. On the website, you can uh, see more photos from behind the scenes. You can donate and support the podcast. And you can listen to back episodes that go back, date back much further than the iTunes mounted or the Spotify allotted. So if you want to hear those early episodes, soundandvisionpodcast.com is the way to do it. Uh, You can follow the podcast on instagram at sound and vision podcast there's more photos and images on there you can find out more about my work at brianalfred.net or at alfred studio on instagram Uh, make sure you check out aaron's show which is up now at miles McHenry gallery it happens to be the gallery that i'll have a show that's opening september 5th all paintings and images based on new york city so um go check out her show check out her on Instagram um, and make sure that you check out on iTunes the podcast leave a review leave a rating if you can it really helps out and spread the word tell a friend uh, many thanks to Michael Lovett for the introduction and Lullatone for the intro outro music and many thanks for Golden Artist Colors for being a longtime sponsor of this podcast check out their stuff at goldenpaints.com thanks for your support 